When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Helen Lewis, and I want to tell you about a podcast I've made for BBC Radio 4 and BBC Sounds. It's called The New Gurus. And it's about how everywhere you look on the internet, people are giving advice. Advice they claim will transform your life. Advice that gets them thousands, even millions of devoted followers. These online prophets are telling us how to eat, how to think, how to get rich, how to find love, how to manage our time. So how exactly are these gurus changing our lives and the world around us? And who holds them to account? Find out by subscribing to The New Gurus wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Hello, I'm Keith Arthur and welcome to the latest trip down the river on the Strange Boat Podcast. I'm joined on the bridge today by an angler who, with some justification, carries the Instagram handle Chubmaster. I arranged to meet him on the bank once when he told me to look out for the bloke in the turban and somehow I knew there'd only be one. Bridgepal Singh, chub-catching legend of the River Lee and beyond. How are you, mate? Very good, Keith. Yourself? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super, thanks. I, I've got to say I have caught some chub recently, but we'll talk about that in a minute because they were quite big ones. Um, it is very unusual, although angling is about as inclusive a sport as you can get, it's a bit unusual to see um, blokes fishing in turbans. I, I, we do have a regular attender at uh, the Gelks on Fishing Lakes at North Alla Fields, but I think it's your nephew. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> who turns up with, the, with his family on occasion. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So, is it a, a sort of a customary sport for... For people from from your background, it's well. If I be honest, back up. But my parents are from the north of India, Punjab. Uh, generally speaking, in these sort of places, fishing's really done in order to you know su- supply themselves with source of protein. Really, yeah. 
you know, because they're, because they're miles and miles away from the sea. Yeah. So generally speaking, like a lot of countries, you know, if they want to eat fish, that's where they're, they're going to take from the rivers. So that's why my dad could never understand why, we, why I went fishing. You know, I'd spend all day fishing and put all the fish back at the end of the day. You know? And, you know, I mean, he's, he's gone now, but all his life, he was, he was just, I'd walk home and he'd like, was walking the door and his head would be shaking like, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> so how did you get into it then? I mean, my, my fishing wasn't passed down from my father. It was uh, it was something I did because my mates did it. How, how did it happen for you? Well, my dad um, uh, was used to work, uh, I think it was down in Brimstown, in fact. And uh, one of his colleagues was an uh, emigrant to Australia. And he was just giving away a load of stuff. Uh, the fact that it was free, my dad was... Definitely going to take it, whether he wanted it or not. And uh, yes, yeah, so, and amongst some of the stuff was a, a, a couple of cane rods, an old reel, um, box of flies. You know, uh, yeah, so my dad brought it home one day. Never, never had a clue what to do with it. And all I remember, open up these flies. The hooks were absolutely amazing. I was absolutely amazed by them. And uh, yeah, then every so often I'd, I'd get the rods out, go in the back garden it together and just whip it around in mid-air not knowing what the hell i'm doing you know but uh yeah so then it got to get packed away and that was it then i suppose one day i must have been about eight nine years old and uh my dad decided to take us all out for a picnic down at windsor so we took we took the gear with us again not knowing what i was doing And and i vividly remember trying to tie this hook with an overhand knot you know and every time you'd pull it, it just it just kept slipping off. And I think it took at least ten overhand knots by the time it stayed on for a little while. Yeah, but uh, but that was it really. Then um, it, that got put away. After which, uh, it must have been about sixteen or so. My brother-in-law, he used to work up in Hertfordshire, and one of his colleagues, uh, he was a fisherman. Yeah, and um, I remember he, he, my brother was saying to me, "Yeah, like his mate's going to take him out fishing." And I was like, oh, well, let me come, let me come. You know, and, he, and he was like, no, maybe next time I'll ask him. Anyway, uh, the next time out, we went out, we, uh, we said, yeah, we've got our own rods and this, that and the other. You know? <laughs> All we had was bright green fiberglass rods and split cane, <laughs> split cane rods. Anyway, so um, we ended up we ended up on a, on a, a lake in um, Much Haddam. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, there's two, I remember there being two lakes. One was the main lake, one was a smaller lake, and there was a, a trout pond in there as well. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but uh, I think that was the defining moment which really got me hooked because we'd got down there and my brother-in-law's mate, he, he, he looked at our gear, you know, this bright green fiberglass rod. Anyway, he'd done the best he could. He set us up with a couple of boilies. Anyway, we've we, we dropped him in down the side and it was a baking hot day and... The whole complex, no one was catching fish. So anyway, uh, I, I remember sitting down at this rod, you know, and um, it, I looked around me, all my brothers, my brother-in-law, they was all over at the van having a, having a beer and a sandwich, basking in the sun. I was And I was adamant, I'm not moving. Sat there. And he must have been there for about three hours. And then um, eventually I thought, oh, blow this. And I thought, I've got to get, get a beer or something or a drink. It was baking up. I've got up, walked away from the rod, my mate who was sharing the rod with me, he, he got back to the rod. I literally turned around and this rod's bent over double, you know. So we've gone flying back. Anyway, so he, he, we've reeled it in 
It was a carp. It must have been about four or five pounds. It was the biggest fish I'd ever seen. You know, and obviously I was I was spitting blood, you know, I'd been there for three hours in a baking sun. <laughs> and I walk away for thirty seconds and he's caught this fish. And now, you know, like, like I said, no one on the complex caught a fish and now you've got a group of Sikh fellas dancing about doing a bit of Bangra. So it was just something like it was something out of, out of Bollywood, do you know what I mean? Uh, it was incredible. <laughs> so, so yeah, the main lake. So all the, all the fellas on the main lake, it was like carbon rods and the, the light alarms and the bivvies and everything. And we were there just like a bunch of herbs, you know, dancing about, you know. But uh, I think that was the moment that really got me hooked. Yeah, you know, it's incredible. Because yeah. you're you're from, I think I know now you live in Stoke Newington way, didn't you? So similar sort of area to where I, I was brought up in Holloway, which isn't too far away, um, full on Guna territory, and. Um, so I started on the Lee, but probably lower downstream around Tottenham and, and Stonebridge Lock, yep. working up Ponder's End, you know, that, that sort of area. Um, and you mentioned Brimsdown, which is sort of the next stop past Ponder's End before you get to Enfield. So then there it's, it's the Lee navigation, the canal. So, so did, you, did you go on the Lee after that or did you stick on ponds for a while? No, I mean, essentially that was the only pond I'd ever been on. But then it was, like I said, for me back then it was quite out of the way in being in Stoke Newington, I was almost within walking distance of Springfield Marina, you know, and, uh, yeah, we eventually went out. I bought a, a rod from, uh, George's, uh, down, uh, down on, uh, on Mare Street. Street. Yeah. 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 I remember buying my first rod there. It was, a uh, again, I still didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, but I bought, a uh, a Sunridge Cortina, two and a half pound, Oh, I remember Tesco. those, yeah, yeah. That would have been about mid eighties. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I left. Yeah. I, I was working for George. I, I managed that shop for several years until he um, he took over a shop in South London. I went and managed that instead. But yeah, so that's um, that's a coincidence. Yeah, but 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 there I am armed with a a carp rod and a, a big old carp rod, and I'm going down the river Lee trying to catch perch and stuff. But again, <laughs> I still didn't know what I was doing. So, but then, you know. I think one thing that changed for me was um, we were sat in the pub with a friend of mine, uh, like, and he'd, he'd done work with my, my dad, he was a plasterer. And we just mentioned to him, oh, yeah, we was down the River Lee and didn't get much. And he was like, what? He goes, like, on the River Lee? And he goes, surely not. And he was going, look, I ain't been fishing for years. I will have a, I'll come out with you. So anyway, so he's gone out. It's just, I've gone with him. We ended up, we ended up in um, Ash Bowls. Oh, yeah. In New England. Yeah. New England, yeah. Green, yeah. And, yeah, and then uh, he, he he bought a rod. I was I was amazed. He spent about I think it was back back then, like I said, mid eighties. He spent about one hundred and sixty quid on the rod. I was yeah. like, whoa! You know, that, for me, that was like bad. But then he spent all this money on this all singing, all dancing rod. And then he's gone out in the front in his display window, and he's bought an Abu five hundred one. And then I thought, this thing look, looks prehistoric. You know, like, why would you want to buy that? You know. But then later on, I ended up with a five hundred one. Yeah. yeah, and. Uh, yeah, and I up, upped my rod to Shimano Triple X twelve foot spice tip, mm-hmm. and uh, that was it. And I, then, like yourself, I was I was, I was just on the on the River Lee Tottenham Locks. Uh, you wouldn't want to go anywhere; it's just full of fish. It was absolutely full of fish. You know, uh, right the way through Springfield Marina was black with fish. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. So generally speaking, Tottenham Locks stick float, and then eventually, my mate would go above the lock. On Stonebridge, and then uh, we'd start fishing up. It started Wagler fishing. That's what, then he got me into the Wagler fishing, mm. and uh, 
yeah, we were bagged up against up against the uh, the boats for the chub. Yeah. Well, those first few swims just above Stonebridge Lock there. Now, we fish anywhere on the lake, you're fishing up to and between boats. But in those days, there were a few yeah. few boats usually moored up just above Stonebridge Lock. They were good, they were good chub pegs yeah. as well. Because the rest yeah. of the far yeah. bank there was, was accessible to the park, wasn't it? Northumberland Park, beyond, beyond, beyond yeah. that other football That's club's right. ground. Yeah, that was the... Yeah. Yeah, that, I remember then, we had matches at Cook's Ferry and everything in the evening back in those days. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. So, look, initially, I mean, I think I spent more time trying to retrieve my floats off from the side of the boat than actually catching any fish. But, uh, but when you lose quite a few, few floats, you soon learn to to cast better, yeah. you know. And uh, yeah, so I, was, I enjoyed it once I stopped losing floats. Yeah. <laughs> so, what what led you then into sort of chub fishing? Were you, were you ever in a club? Were you competitive at all in your fishing, or it was just you against the fish? Yeah, it was just, I mean, I suppose it was me, because my mate, he was a brilliant fish, because I, I, we'd, we'd worked together for, well, we'd worked for my dad for quite a while, but we'd never, ever spoken about fishing. But it turned out that he was actually a pretty, pretty tasty match fisherman. But he just, he'd sold his gear once upon a time, and, you know, he just fell out of it. And then once he'd, he'd, he'd heard we were, we were having a go, and he, he went out, bought his stuff, and I suppose just watching him, just, 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 just watching, watching what he was doing, um... I remember him, tie, him learning me to, teaching me to, to tie a spade hook. You know, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, and, and that was a, a very memorable moment for me. And I just couldn't understand, like, you know, there's no knots in this thing, you know, like overhand knots or anything. Is it not you coming know? untied, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, then that was it, really. We just, we just fished that for quite a bit. Then we've eventually, you know, we worked our way up the river towards Broxbourne. And uh, yeah, we started fishing. I joined. I joined up with Carthagena, Carthagena Weir. Yep. When um, when um, what's his name? Uh, Pete Brill. Yes, I remember. Pete Brill. Pete, yeah. Yeah. Pete, yeah. He, he was there. Uh, then I remember initially you couldn't get onto the weir pool for love nor money, no. uh, but we'd end up getting a ticket and we could fish above the weir. And I remember fishing above the weir, getting meat on a little tip. And catching chub there, and once I started getting the chub there, that was it. You know, I was absolutely hooked on the things, yeah. And uh, yeah, it just went on from there. And then eventually, I, you know, I got better and better at fishing the waggler. And uh, well, as you know, you know, you're, you're going to fish for the for the chub. You've got to be as close as you can to the boats, yeah. you know. And uh, yeah, just one day we started we started fishing the actual meadow. And there was on floats going under, bang. Five pound chub. Ooh. What's that yeah. crown mud? The old crown mud below the below crown yeah. bridge, yeah. yeah. Down the water. Yeah, 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 the crown. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then it was just incredible, you know. I remember fishing just outside the, the rowing club. Yep. There was a boat there, boat there called the Blue Ocean. That was my favourite peg. Mm. And uh every week, literally every week, four, five, six chub and every one of them over five pounds. If your float went under, it was five pound plus. Yeah. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. You know. And so I'd spend my winters up there around Broxbourne. Uh, the rest of the time was, I was mainly on the Lee, really. That would the lower have, Lee. What was that? Would that have been about the mid nineties or maybe early two thousands? Because my, I, I can't remember when the matches sort of stopped on the Crown because the Crown was basically a match water. Um, I remember I've got I've got a trophy somewhere. I won the first ever peg down match 
on the crown. All right. And that, I wasn't, in fact, I drew a peg you never wanted to draw. I drew peg four, which was four above the fence at the bottom end. So just a field opposite, completely barren. But it was size limits. And I, I, I think I had, I think I had seven roach and five of them were goers and I weighed in one pound 14. And that won the match because all the chub that were caught were sort of 11 inches. And no chub had to be 12 inches. Nobody caught a goer. So that was 19, I'm sure, 1975. That was, and soon after that, size limits were abandoned. All the chub got bigger and you didn't need a ruler. If you didn't need them because they were all two pounder, then three pounder, then the odd four pounder. So it probably would have been, I'm guessing about the mid-90s. Would that be about right? It was, yeah, yeah. It was around about the mid-90s, yeah. So like I said, I spent a lot of my time with the lower league. Got got up to the sort of Broxbourne round that sort of way. Started catching loads of chub off off the boats here. Um, then yeah, my time was just sort of spent mixed between them two. But then I suppose eventually, you know, I, I remember we, we were down at um, oops, we was above Stonebridge Lock, uh, and fishing hadn't been very good at that time. You know, we, we were all struggling because every so often you you know yourself around Tottenham Locks, there'd be a body found in there and. Yeah. The locks would have been drained down during the week, and 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 you turn up, you don't know nothing about it, and it just doesn't fish. And uh, I remember talking to a bailiff at that point, and um, and I thought we were all having a game. Sort of, where are all the fish gone? You know, and and, and he actually turned round and said, "Goes, oh, I don't fish here because I've, I've been fishing up on the Thames." And we were like, "What? You don't even fish the water that you're bailiffing, you know?" And that really wound me up, which was a good thing, you know, because it made me want to fish the Thames, and then. That is how I actually sort of discovered the Thames, really. You know, we, we ended up uh, taking a drive up there and uh, having a look around. And I suppose the only place I actually knew was Hampton Court. Yeah. You know? And, uh, yeah, so we ended up in, um, I think it's it was Ultimate Tackle. I, I think that was the name of him, Ultimate Tackle, just, just as you go over the bridge. It was a tackle shop there. Oh, yeah, it was uh, originally Molesy Angling Centre. And my old friend right. of mine, Phil Davison, who emigrated to Australia, I still speak to him occasionally on on on, um, on the internet. And uh, yeah, and, and he he did change it. You might be it might be ultimate angling. He changed it to, but it was originally Molesy Angling Centre. He was up in in Molesy itself. Then he got the new shop just along the Prader shops there. Before you get to that garage, almost opposite Hampton Court Station. For those people that want That's to pinpoint it, and it's not there anymore. So nor is Phil Davidson. But uh, yeah, that that was I remember that shop. Yeah, that was another. Shop that's uh, long since passed. Yeah, but, but but going in there, having a chat to him and, and a few other people and talked about how good it was. But like I said, I was still totally sort of like uh, sort of disorientated as to where to fish, where, where do I go? So he was there, the river was there. I thought, right, we'll fish here. Then I remember buying a buying my my uh, a feeder rod off of him. I bought the old Dren and I am eight. Oh off yeah. Of him. Yeah, matched up with a, with a uh, Shimano Stradic. And, uh, yeah, so he, he sold us a few feeders and stuff, and we started fishing the Thames. But uh, but my my initial time on the Thames, the first, what, must have been about nine, ten weeks, were an absolute nightmare. You know, I, I was fishing it. Again, I, I didn't really know what I was doing, feeder fishing on the Thames. You know, my feeder would be bouncing around everywhere. And, you know, I'd gone back week after week with my brother's, and my cousin, yeah, none of us were catching anything. And then uh, it must have been, oh, I don't know, at least nine or ten weeks. We'd caught soddle, you know. And then, and I remember it being Mother's Mothering Sunday, and it, it was 
it was closer. It was it was round about the close season. It's usually the last Sunday of the close close season. Mother's Day is either the last Sunday of the close season or the first Sunday of the last Sunday of the season or the first Sunday of the close season. Father's Day is either the first Sunday of the season or the Sunday before that. That's how you, I could always work about yeah. by that. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So and I remember we. I, I said to him, I was like, come, let's go fishing. They were like, no, we're not going. We're not having this. We're like nine, ten weeks. We've been blanking. I'm not having it. So I fell off. Well, I'm still going. So anyway, I've gone down there. started fishing. So I was just underneath, just, just underneath the bridge. The first pig along. And, uh, yeah, tossed the feeder in. And what it was, the river was actually, it, it had been running quite, quite quite hard. And it had just fined down. So anyway, so I've, I've dropped this feeder in, bouncing along. And uh, these two kids come up to me and said, yeah, mister, um, you caught anything? I went, no, mate. And then he turned around and says to me, goes, everybody down at Kingston's catching fish. Everyone's catching fish down there. And I was like, oh, my God, I thought that's all I need to eat. You know what I mean? Anyway, so they, they went off. And another couple of hours went past. I carried on feeding it. Then all of a sudden, you know, my, my tips sort of like slightly bent over and it's just dropped back. And I thought, why has it done that for? Do you know what I mean? I've not realised I've just had a drop back bite. As, as I've picked the rod up, I've got a little, I had a little skimmer on there. And all of a sudden I thought, well, here we go. Right, it's a skimmer. Well, Bremer or a shoalfish, got some ground bait, start putting a bit of ground bait in. All of a sudden, going, going through, it was just slightly moving along, bounced back, boom, and now a better bream. And all of a sudden it just went mental, you know. And I ended up, it, it, I just won bream after them. These were all like sort of, Round about your four four pound mark, yeah. you know, four four and a half five pounders, and it was just one after the other, you know, and uh, and it, it was the first time I'd, I'd caught fish, yeah, and f- that that sort of quantity of fish, and my knees were shaking. It was it was just <laughs> mental, you know. And I remember this fellow up on the bridge, he, he sort of looking down at me, and he was like, "Yeah, mate," he goes, "I've never ever seen anybody catch fish like that before," you know what I mean? And I was like literally shaking, you know. And I just couldn't do anything wrong, you know. Oh, mate, and I just fell in love with the Thames, you know. And that was me. I was just like, right, that's it, coming down the Thames every week. And then, so for a while, I, I did actually sort of turn me back on, on the, on going down the lee. You know, just just kept on at it down on the Thames. Absolutely love it. A bit more variation in the Thames, and you, you, you don't really know when your tip goes until those silly bream turn up. You don't really know what's happening when. I mean, there's there's some big barbel on that stretch. There's, as you know, loads. There's carp. There's huge perch. Um, quality roach. My my first Thames experience was at Hampton Court as well. So I might as well tell you about that, mightn't I? Uh, I'm living in Holloway at the time, and on um, summer Sundays, the 27 bus would go to Hampton Court from the Archway. It was a long, long way round, I'll tell you. But it used to go to... So I got the Red Rover, which was half a crown because I was under 14, so 12 and a half P. And I'd got some worms out the garden and a little tub of maggots from the budgie shop at Finsbury Park. And um, I got on a 27, got off Hampton Court Bridge. Wow, this is... What a big river this is. And I walked along and there's a confluence of the River Mole just slightly downstream, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, so, I'll fish here. This is where Mr. Crabtree would fish if he was coming here because there's a nice AD. Because the Thames flowed all the time back then, didn't it? And I'd never ledgered before. So I put my one ounce coffin lead on, stopped it with a split shot, and I put a bit of lobworm on, chucked it out. And after a little while, the, the rod shook a bit. There was no there were no quiver tips. I was using, I think I was using a seven foot split cane Scotty spinning rod. And it shook a little bit. 
and I wound in and I had this perch that weren't a perch. I caught perch before, but a perch had stripes. And this didn't have stripes, it had dots and blotches. But it was a perch. And then I realised it was what us southerners call a pope or a rough. So, wow, look at that. I've caught, and I caught 46 of them that day and a roach of about a pound. That was a real nuisance because I caught roach before. It probably wasn't a pound. It was probably six or seven ounces, but it was a pound to me. And I'd caught those before from up the Lee and Hampstead Ponds and Finchley Park. But I caught, so I went back the next week and I caught some more. And then I went with all my mates and, and, um, and we were fishing one day and we watched the rain come along the river from Hampton Court Bridge and it was a proper deluge of cloudbirds. We saw it coming. So we all went up under the trees and left our rods at the bottom and there were three or four of us and one of them was, was a lad called Mickey Fagg who, who's, who lived above the dentist in in, uh, in Manor Gardens in Holloway. And I said, Mick, your float's gone under you. And he ran down that steep bank and couldn't stop. And it was, oh, it was yeah. like, like a roadrunner going off the cliff. You know, the legs were going and splash. There was this big hole in the water. And we had to go and drag him out. So well, we got just as wet because it was, it was a deluge. Rain. So that, that's my, one of my Hampton Court stories. I've got a few of Hampton Court, but we'll leave those for another time, including singing a song while I was being filmed. And I didn't know I was being filmed singing a song for tight lines. And anyway, that's, as, as I say, another story. So you, you've now Hampton Court, you've now caught Bream, you've obviously caught your chub out the Lee. Where, where did you develop from? From Obviously, you were then going to be the Bream Meister for a while because you caught all these loads and loads of Bream. But what, where did you go from there? Well, from there, um, it, eventually we'd go up the Thames and then you know, we sort of developed the idea that, you know, if, if we'd gone up there and it weren't fishing, we'd just start driving around, just finding places, you know. But um, I think one of the next places that I fell in love with, was still at Hampton Court, was, was we'd walk, walk uh, from Hampton Court Bridge downstream to Ditton Island. Yep. Yeah, and, and uh, I remember fishing there, doing the same thing as I would do, like, as to catch brain, but now all of a sudden I'm, I'm catching something with whiskers on the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And so, uh, and that became a regular thing. You know, I was going down there, and like you'd get down there for first light, and literally every week I'd have a barbel. Yeah. You know, not necessarily huge things, but sort of five, six pounders. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they weren't and, big uh, barbel at Hampton Court when we used to fish there on on the old LAA days in the sixties and seventies. You got quite a few barbel at Hampton Court, but a four pounder was a big one. But down down there, we used to fish from the other bank, what they call the galleries, down towards um, Ravens yeah. 8. And, yeah, there was an island there with, with a big house on with steps down to the river with two lions either side. And, and the lions was a good peg for Barbel. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but other than that, then, we'd, like I said, we used to drive around we had, when days weren't so good. Yeah, then we just started fishing up by sort of, sort of uh, Chertsey, Walton. Yeah, we We've we've met we met up at Walton, you know, where I fish down there. Yeah. And uh fishing for the for there there I just absolutely love fishing the stick uh for the roach and dace. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. Um yeah, and, and the perch there are immense. Yeah. You know, so, so oh yeah, like but but um And the pike also, there are a nuisance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, big, that's some serious crocodiles in there, man. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So, so other than that, um, I think recently, you know, in the last few years, what I found was with Brock spawn, you know, on the lee, the chub chub fishing was getting quite 
difficult. Like you know, like I used to go down there for years, and I never used to take a camera, and, I, and I'd catch five, six chub at a time. And these are all like five, six pounders, seven pounders. I've had twelve, thirteen chub in a day. These are all over five pound. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had massive bag. Me and my mate Clive, we, we, we're almost on first name terms with all, all the chub along along the crown. But over the last few years, I've noticed that it, you know, it, it's got harder and harder. You know, I, I understand that some of these fish would have died died from age, but I personally feel that the introduction of the otters uh, is playing a fair part in it. They've got, I, I, I didn't, mean, I didn't realise they had that they any on. I didn't realise they were on the crown. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, just put it this way: I, I, I was in a. Uh, Builders merchant. This is what about five years ago, and uh, I was chatting to another fellow. You know, he had a Drennan cap on, so as as anglers, we start talking, and we were having a chat. And the fellow from behind the counter, he wasn't a fisherman, and he just and he and he started telling us that, that he lived. He you know, go, oh, mate, go, I live at Dobbsweir, and uh, I, I like getting up in the morning and going over to Dobbsweir and watching the otters. And we both looked at each other like, what? And and that's what he was doing. He's watching the otters. So like, if they're in Dobbsweir, yeah. They got they got to work their way down. Oh down yeah, to, yeah. To you know, and and I've just noticed. I mean, I, I like I said I, I could go down down to um, Roxbourne on the boats down in Meadow. Yeah, I'd, I'd always know about a few fish. Yeah. Always, you know, very few times I'd I'd walk away from there with a blank. Yeah, and uh, like I said, you you catch a fish down there, your float goes under. You ain't you ain't catching a three pounder or a two pounder. No, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, but the, the, see, they, they, they're probably. I mean, no, nobody really ages those fish, but there's been a couple of generations of chub in my lifetime, um, and and a couple of generations of bream in my lifetime as well, that I've been able to track because I've watched them grow, and I can't do that on the crown because. Um, I don't fish it frequently enough and I don't live over that way anymore. But 76, 77, that exceptionally hot summer in 76, long hot summer, and the exceptional dry summer the weekend after were fantastic chub spawning and chub survival times. So in the 90s, we were catching the, the chub on in the 80s. They started to take over from the roach and, and gudgeon at places like Medley. And you had to go there and catch chub. And the crown, obviously, in the, in the 70s and 80s, I mentioned the chub were undersized. They were 11 inches. So they're, pro- they're probably four or five years old at 11 inches because they're quite slow growing in rivers, especially when there's lots of them. And what happened, the numbers of fish obviously goes down because... A certain number die every year. Somebody says it's somebody said it's about ten percent of the shoals die every year, and those that survive get bigger because chub fish can grow throughout their whole lives. But when they get to a certain size, they don't their their infrastructure isn't as good for for putting on weight, so they get a bit old and a bit saggy and and, and stuff. And and I reckon right up until. Probably not now, but certainly right up to 10 years ago, the fish you were catching were the survivors of that 76, 77 summer. So they'd be like 40 years old and a lot of them die and there ain't many left. 
And so eventually none of them are going to be around. You know, we know carp live to over 60 years. That's happened. And I, I've, I've seen the same with the bream down here. Like I, I never fished for bream down there. There weren't many bream on the river. And, and we fished a national in 1976 on the Huntsville. And, and one of the methods on the Huntsville was throwing the ball around by every cast and putting a waggler over the top of it. So I went down and practiced just down from where I live now, down about upstream of River Lane, which was the wider, slower bit. As I say, now you can go out, I could go down there now, chuck a waggler out, come home, have a cup of tea, go back and the float wouldn't have moved. But, but in those days it moved the whole time. But it didn't move much on where the old driftwood barges used to be, well, still is moored, I think, upstream of River Lane. So I went down there and stood in the water and fished me waggler and ball around back. And I started catching skimmers like four, six ounce fish. I've never seen them before because you don't see a lot of them just feeding maggots because you get dace and, and in the winter you get you used to get roach. And, and so I've never seen these bream and I've watched them grow. And I'm still convinced that when you get a seven, eight, nine pound bream out of the tidal Thames now, it's a survivor from those I was catching in 1976. So 1972, three was probably a good bream survival time. There's other generations coming through. You know, there's some three pounders down there that look entirely different. And, and, and I wonder if that's what that, well, I'm certain that's what has happened with the chub. What I don't know now is if there's a new generation of chub because there definitely is in the Thames. And the suggestion is they're coming from about 98 2000 because uh, people like Paul Glenfield are going to the Thames in Abingdon and getting two and a half three pounders Ray Baisley said that he not Ray Baisley um John Beasley said he was catching Ray Baisley's Bristol Haven John Beasley's the, the Isis bloke the Thames bloke he he was catching them a couple of years ago two pound but I don't know if anybody goes to Clifton Hamden for example fishes from anymore can't fish from at Medley because there's no float of rivers full of weed and it's all bream and, and even tench and big perch so yeah it's very very interesting these, these cycles of fish so if the ot an otter wouldn't catch a fit two pound chub not a chance because it escape it'd go where the otter couldn't follow it but when you're a seven or eight pounder and you've been around for a long time like we would have much, me in particular would have much more trouble running away from a lion than than the 17 year old kid who lives next door so it's it's a similar sort of thing isn't it yeah but um it's like i'm sure you, you you'll know that at carthagena yep every, like once the season was closed you know a few weeks would go past and all the chub would shoal up in the in the weirpool. That's right. Every literally every chub in that river would be in that weirpool. Yep. And it was the weirpool was black with chub yep. and all these chub were like four, five, Massive six. Massive great pounds. fish. I mean, I, yeah. So I used to take my kids down there, you know, like my, my kids are all grown up now, like all the sort of late early and late twenties. And I used to take them down there when, when they were like four years old. We used to chuck in the dog biscuits and like the chub would come up like trout. Yeah. You know? Well but Jerry used to sell life, Jerry Hammond used to sell bags of pellets yeah. to feed them with, didn't he? Exactly. That's, that's what we used, to, we used to do. You know, we yeah. used to go down and buy two bags, and the kids used to love it. But then, what I've noticed over the last four, no, last three years, I've gone down there. There's hardly a chub in that weirpool. Yeah. And they, can you consider my kids when they were four years old? It was black, and I took them every year during yeah. the closing season. Yeah. We'd go down there, and it, it'd be full of chub. And in the last few years, the last two two years prior to this. I saw not a single chub in it this year during the closes. It went up there. There was one chub in there. Mm. So, you know, the fact that they showed up, maybe that was, was their, their demise, you know, because if there are, if there are dives in there, I mean, Matt Hayes died a feature in there, didn't they? You know, uh, Matt and uh, Martin Bowler did as well. Yeah. yeah. 
I was I was offered I was offered the chance, and you know it was a bit too much um, fish in a barrel for me. I'm I'm, I'm I, yeah. I you know yeah. I, I, when I when I when I did did things on tight lines, I may, I tried always to make it fully accessible. So I didn't go to the secret spot, and I, because but when you're doing magazine features, of course it's entirely different, or your own TV program. But but tight lines is all about encouraging people to go fishing, and you know, well, when you know someone that knows someone who knows Jerry Hammond, you can go and fish in his weirpool. That, that wasn't my scene, but um, yeah, I, I know I know what you're saying, and and it was there were ridiculous numbers of chub. The other problem, of course, with that bit of the Lee, the last time I filmed on the Lee was was probably. I don't know, 2012 maybe? When I went up there to try and catch those big chub from the, is it the Lady of the Lee? That yeah, swim. That's the one. Yeah, there's a big old boat that you're catching against. And I didn't, I was getting little tiny roach over there and I knew if I was catching little tiny roach, I wasn't going to catch any chub. Yeah, so, um, so I said, well, do you know, I remember from years ago, you used to catch tenture. I wonder if there's any tension. I had the, the, the bag of worms. So I chopped up some worms and cut the chopped worms in crayfish, 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 perch, crayfish, crayfish, tench, and I caught two tench. So that that was that, that wasn't in the that was in the winter time, uh, but the crayfish were just such in massive abundance. I, I I couldn't imagine at the time much fry and, and and spawn surviving there because that's one of the big problems of signal crayfish. And without the chub being there to eat them, which of course they do. And maybe the otters will get rid of those. Then the otters will die of old age, and the chub will come back. Who knows? Yeah. Well, well, the ladies. Well, well you know yourself. That's that's where I had my um, my eight pounder. Yeah, we'll go there. What's we'll the go there now. Let, let, let's go to the these right. silly big uh, chub. I mean, an eight pound chub yeah. is the fish of dreams. Yeah. I mean, I mean that that was a, a red letter day. You know, like I said, I, I've I've caught loads of fish that that down on the crowd. I've ne- I never used to tell anybody about it. It wasn't a secret. It's just I just I just went down there, done it. You know, had a bag of chub, and it, for me it was a regular thing. Go four, five, six chub, five, six pounders. But in this one particular day on the lady, you know, I've gone down there, usual thing, hemp maggot and casters, and uh, fished it. Uh, floats gone under, five pounder, six pounder. Went on for a while, and this fella, this fella, parks up his bike behind me, he's watching me. Anyway, folks gone down. I've, I've got this fish, and it's gone mental, you know. Anyway, and uh, that that was me with Bishmano Triple X and me five oh one. I've got this chub. I'm on about. I think I was on about two pound bottom, two and a half pound bottom at the most. Anyway, eventually I played this thing. I've got, I've got it. In, bang! It's in the bag, and it's this geezer behind me is going mental. And he was a fisherman as well. Carried on fishing. Again, getting getting a few more chub. I must I must have had at least ten chub. All, Sort of over five pounds, you know, what I mean, it's five, six, seven pounds, and that, and the eight pounder, which I didn't know was an eight pounder. Uh, there it floats gone underneath again. Bang, fish has gone mental. I've played this fish out. I've literally, I, I, I was done, and so was the fish. And I had it up on top of the water, and just as it, its lips just came to the landing net, the hook pulled, and it literally lay there on top. And I was so overstretched, I was going to go in a drink, if, you know, if, if I didn't hold myself back. And like this guy is behind me, and he's going, "That's bigger than the last one you caught," you know. And so, at that point, I think I would have been the only person to have caught an eight pound, a brace of eight pound chub. Wow. Yeah, and I lost out on it. But, 
But uh, yeah, the bailiff came down. He had a look, look at it, weighed it, and like, yeah, it all just went mental. You know, Lee Valley got down there, the Anglican Times got to know about it, and the rest is history, really. Was it eight, going back eight, to those eight pound one and a half, was it? Yes, yeah. it was something like that. Yeah. Eight, 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 one and a bit, yeah. yeah. But going back to those tench that, that you talk about on the crown, I swear to God, there's, I know, three different people that have had tench up to nine pound. Yeah. I'm pound plus yeah. uh, uh, along the crown. And, 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 the, and the te- there's something about those tench in the crown. They are just the most beautiful yeah. tench you'd ever see. Incredible looking fish. You know, uh, oh, 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 I know a few people go down there with a chop worm and cast. I like maybe rake out a swim. And uh, yeah, there's fish, fish along the section where the, the rowing boats are. That's it. You know, yeah. There's a few of them. There's a few guys that go down there and there's three of them on a pole. And they'll rake out a bit, chop burn a caster. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's some cracking tension to be had out of there. Oh, and big carp. Yeah, oh, yeah, there's some Very. huge carp. And I, I know that um, one of our old pals who, 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 who um, used to fish the matches, Terry Fenton, he now is um, entirely a big fish angler down there. And he fishes the boilies and catches carp. And, and he was catching the chub that you were catching on, on Wag and Mag. He was catching on boilies and big lumps of bread, etc. But we, we used to catch tench. On the navigation down below Aqueduct Lock, um, where the North Met is, and, and I don't know if it's yep. still there, but they used to bring when they they um, dredged the um, no from the power station. They used to desludge the power station at Brimsdown, and which obviously won't be there anymore. They used to bring the the um, silt up by river to just below Aqueduct Lock and pump it into the North Met pit. And there were these two big pipes hanging over the the towpath, and we used to and with the pipes, corresponding pipes, going into the North Met, and we used to call those the Loch Ness monster, uh, because it was like this undulating pipe, and that was a place where you could catch tench on the lee as well. Start of the season in the summer, you could go there and almost certainly nick a tench or two. But there's so many tench in rivers that don't get caught because people don't actually don't fish for them. You know, I, I've seen them caught out the tidally in the winter in flood. I tried to catch one seven or eight years ago now. I went in the winter, it was it was hacking through, and I went below Teddington Lock, had one bite and foul looks of fish that came off, and then had a three pound seven ounce perch, but I never got my tench down there. I've I've caught I've caught them at Kingston, I've caught my Hampton Court. Um in, in and again, that the, the going back to that drought and, and the, the red hot summer of seventy six and the hot summer of nineteen uh, the the dry summer of seventy seven in 78, weed started to appear along Kingston and Hampton Court. And you could go there and lay on just past the... But down here, it was, it was quite deep because they dredged it all for the multi-flooding in the 70s. and blah, blah, blah. So it was quite deep. And I used to go behind what used to be Hawker Sidley's factory, just about three quarters of a mile from where I'm sitting now, and fish just over the weed. And, and you could actually say... I'm going to try and catch a tench today and you'd catch the odd dace and the odd roach and sometimes a perch and then you'd look a bigger fish and it'd be a tench. And um, another one of my pals, um, Dave Hurry, he, he goes along there fishing for carp and he's got a few little spots and he puts bait in the spots and he walks back to the beginning and fishes each spot in turn for about an hour and he's had some big carps he's had, some big, he's had a 57 pound cat he's had 37 pound carp but on one of his spots last year he had five tench feeding and he, and he could see him quite clearly close to the edge and he reckons the smallest one was over eight pound and he's a bloke who's caught some 
some monster fish from the Thames and from other places. And if he said the, the smallest one was over eight pounds, then you can take that to the bank. So yeah, that, that's, but people don't target them on rivers much, do they? The Fen rivers, where you'd expect them, which are really like drains, they're canalised rivers. But yeah, it, it, it's incredible. But the, the Lee has always been famous um, for its yeah. tench. Yeah. There's huge tench. There's huge tench in there. You know, like, like I said, um, I remember there's one fella down, down on the ground again. I think he had about seven tench. Uh, wow. he, he, he was he, he was on the feed and, and but be honest he was up there he was trying to beat me for catching chub and every time he was tipping around he had a tench and I was getting chub up the other end That's uh, crazy. He, he, he weren't too happy about yeah. that you, you've, I've, I've seen some photos of you um, one I think you're holding a wahoo is that right? oh that was a, a trip yeah just just before the um, the lockdown just oh, yeah. before the lockdown now, yeah, I know that I, didn't come from the Lee or from the Thames or Clacton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that was a trip to Barbados. Yeah, my 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 daughter and my son. You know, they had time, some some holiday to get rid of, and uh, they were like, "Dad, this." They 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 you know young kids that so they get these deals on the internet, and they got some deal. And I said, yeah, well, "Go on in, why not?" <laughs> so yeah, we went to Barbados, and uh, we, we we took two trips out. Uh, the the first trip we were catching um, barracuda. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we had quite a few barracuda, but then there uh, was also catching the, the dorado. Yeah, lovely the mahi mahi. The yeah. cricket bat ones, yeah. their dinner they are. Yeah, the mahi. But they were. That, oh, the, the kids really enjoyed it. Then I I done another trip out, and that's when I had that wahoo. Yeah, great big bloody thing. It's incredible. Uh, I was, now if, if I go anywhere, if I can fit in a fishing trip, where wherever I go, I, if I be honest, with you, I've, I've worked all my life. And I've never really gone on holiday, and it's only just recently I'm sort of discovering the, the joys of going on holiday. Yeah. And so, um, when was it? It was about, about two and a half years ago. My, my kids, my wife's fiftieth. My kids bought us tickets to go to Africa, and uh, yeah, so they bought us tickets. Initially, we went to uh, Zimbabwe. So when we got there, it was in the hotels, and I said, "There I am." I see this pamphlet with. Uh, Tiger fish all over it. <laughs> That's getting a phone call. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so got a phone, phone this fella up. Yeah, he come flying round, and uh, yeah, he took us out on a little little boat. Took me missus with me, but health and safety wasn't in the forefront of our minds. If I'll mm. be honest with you, mm. you know, because we're flying down this down the Zambezi. Got my missus in there, and uh, you know, crocodiles everywhere, hippopotamus everywhere. You know, it's just incredible. You know, and uh, yeah, he took us up this a creek, and uh, yeah, there I middle of the river, cast away crocodiles on both both banks. You know, I, I, I kid you not, these are <laughs> no, like, I believe you, yeah, three meters, four meters long. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're like I'm in the middle of the river, cast cast this this lure at uh, catching a uh, tiger fish. But they didn't get a, any big ones as such. But um, uh, I, I, I did manage to catch. I think it was a yellow belly largemouth bream. Oh yeah, and it was obviously special because the skipper went nuts, and he said, "I've got to put this on my Facebook." I got so when the skipper says, "Got to put it on his Facebook," you know, yeah. it's going to be a good feature. And uh, yeah, that was incredible. But but just being sort of sat in the middle of the Zambezi, fishing away, it's just oh, it's just absolutely fantastic. But the crocodiles were a bit scary, but I can swim faster than my missus, so. <laughs> <laughs> they'd be they'd be full up before they got to you. 
<laughs> what are, the, the, the hippos apparently are the nasty custards. They're the ones you have to watch out for uh, because oh they God. they run through, they gallop through the water, don't they? At, at yeah. breakneck speed. I mean, I've I've seen um, video of them like pushing this huge wake before them as 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 they 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 run, and then suddenly their head appears and that huge mouth opens. Yeah. Blimey! Yeah. What is? Yeah, but what the skip said to us, he said, like, and I was like, well, there's crocodiles over there. He's like, don't worry about them, mate. He goes, he goes, we worry about the hippopotamuses over here. Yeah. He goes, look out for the hippos. He goes, that's what you worry about. And he yeah. actually said to me that if you were having a barbecue on the bank, and, you know, because you don't hear, you don't hear these great big animals. You know, they're out there under the water. And if, if they feel you're just a little bit too close to their territory, and he said to me, like you said, they'll come charging out. But one thing he did say, he goes, hippos don't warn you. If they're coming out, they're coming to get you. It's, it's really? as simple as that. Yeah, he goes, they're not going to come out and say, like, oh, shoot, go away, take your barbecue somewhere else. <laughs> they're going for you. You know what I mean? It, like, it end up, it's nuts. Yeah. Uh, we, when she saw a dead hippopotamus, uh, it was the day after, there was a dead one floating on top of the, on the water, and it stunk oh, to bad. high heaven. And yeah. we, 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 were, we were a fair old distance from it, and it was horrible. And then as we, as we go, went past it, like a clock face, there's crocodiles all the way around it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think they're all like edging each other on, like, go on, you take the first bite just in case he's having a nap. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but oh, mate, it was incredible. That was yeah, but, something uh, I've never I done. Think... I got close. I got close to a bit of tiger fishing. I was, I was, I was invited, but we couldn't make the dates work. Um, that was, I think that was, we, it was on sort of the, one of the borders it, I can't remember the name of the river now but it was one of those places where you get the goliaths which are a different they're slightly yeah. different structurally to the, the standard tiger fish the big goliaths are 10 12 15 pounders and they genuinely are nasty nasty beasts of those yeah so yeah I, I they... think Kariba I think is a place in Zimbabwe where they're going to get the bigger ones Kariba mm. uh, which is I think I think I was probably further north to where we were yeah but uh great fun perhaps yeah. brilliant fun it's a shame actually but, because you know you, you, your heritage being um the north of india and and some of the marcia fishing that used to be available there that is now either closed it's been it's been banned on on conservation grounds and the rivers have been polluted and abstracted and the, the fish have been eaten that, that I, I hear some stories of daring do um you know, people sort of having a trek for a couple of days to get to a bit of river, and then sitting there in the middle of nowhere, just just with the. I remember Nigel Botherway told me he went fishing for Marcia and he got up the first morning. They were sleeping on a pallet in a tent, and he had a snake under his pallet. Which, um, yeah, yeah, I, 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 you know, to be honest, if there's not a holiday and I don't usually fish. <laughs> in fact, to be honest. Go on. No, go ahead. Yeah, uh, well, well, because uh, we're 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 from the from the north. We're, my parents are from like the foothills of the Himalayas, so um, not too far from there. Uh, there's a fella. Um, his name's uh, Misty Dillon, mm. and I think what he's done. There's a part. There's a part of the the river there that he's. I would imagine he's leased it from the from the government, and and he's actually. He actually has his own security on it, and he and he runs he runs a, a, a sort of fishing sort of expeditions on it, and uh, it's called um, 
Himalayan outback. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. So you look them up, and and basically you go, you know, he arranges trips, like all the equipment, the food, and he's got like accommodation there. But he's he's actually protecting that section of river. You know, you've got armed guards on there. You know, and the fish is supposed to be pretty good. Yeah. yeah, and I think that I've been saying to myself, I'm going to be doing it, you know, but you know, work and kids and all that sort of stuff, you know, just tend yeah. to get in the way. Well, I Mike, will definitely be doing it. My excuse now is age, but that's something, uh, something entirely different. So, what you what you got? Um, what's next on the agenda? You're just going to carry on enjoying your fishing, or have you got you got anything in mind? I mean, I remember we spoke at the end of the season, and and you you. Did a bit of driving around that day. It sounds like my old days driving around on the last day trying to find a few fish. And um, you eventually banned, abandoned your mate at Runnymede um, who decided to have the last hour. And you sent me the picture the following day of his seven pound, one and a half ounce chub. No, it was seven and a half, seven oh, it was, one, what, seven fifteen. Oh, seven fifteen. Oh, that was seven right, fifteen. What, I've, I've still got the photo here. What a monster chub that is. Yeah. Absolute beast of a fish. Yeah, yeah but um, that that there we, we'd spent the, the last of the last season. We, we, we had a terrible day, and uh, oh, anyway, I'm yeah. just looking at the photo now. I know what swim he's in. So yeah, so, oh, right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and that like we'd been out from first light, you know, and it was getting late. I looked on my 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 phone for my, my trek coming back to Stoke Newton, and it was sort of saying two and a half hours, and I thought, you know, what, I've had enough, you yeah. know. We didn't have much, and I thought that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing in the towel. And so him, fair play to him. There was a, there was about an hour of daylight, and he, he drove around. We was at Shirtsey at that point. He drove around to to Runnymede, and uh, he had a centerpin stick uh, set up and uh, a stick float. Put a bit of bait in. I think it was his third trot, third trot through. It's gone through. It's just slowly sunk under, and bang, seven pound fifteen. I mean, yeah. absolute. Gorgeous creature. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm looking at the photo of it now. My iPad. It is a. It is a fantastic fish. That is a fantastic yeah. fish. Yeah, and in the summer, that same swims full of full to the brim of uh, of roach and dace. Yeah, yeah there's there's yeah. so many of those there. You don't tend to get many chub there in the summer. We used to get them years ago. I remember um, we used all along the bit upstream of where he's caught that fish. There's a line of trees, and we used to get chub in there on the pole. Um, but downstream, as it goes round past what used to be the bandstand around that double bend, there's some trees on the far bank, and you'd catch chub chucking a feeder across to there. Um, so I drove around there one day, the place called Hive End Road, and um, we got we got there was a lake um, that people used to fish all through the close season. But you could get on that bank, and there were two or three swims. It was never fished. You could get in, you'd catch them under the rod tip. There and that that was some spectacular fish. Now I'm going back now. Well, how far am I going back? I'm going back probably fifty years, forty-five, fifty years ago. We we were we were doing up to that kind of chicanery. Yeah. So what you got think got in mind for the next next or for this season? What have you got? To, what are you up to well, now? Well, if I be well, I suppose my, my most recent change is um, I discovered the Grand Union Canal. Yeah, and uh, that, that's just been an absolute revelation. You know, where, where I'd be fishing Broxbourne, you know, every year people see me down there. You know, I, was, I was almost became part of the fixtures and fittings of Broxbourne on the Crown. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, it's it, it just because uh, because the fishing just slowed down. It was getting harder and harder. 
and I just didn't feel that that my time spent on a bank was being fruitful enough, you know, because I, I used to be on at Dan Brock's on Christmas Day, you know what I mean? Really? You know, covered in snow, you know, and uh, it sort of got got to the point, you know, like there, there were people that used to come out regularly for walks and expect me to be there, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you've got this Sikh, Sikh fella there, cut, surrounded by snow, funny hat, white beard, fat belly, you know, <laughs> It's part of a Christmas, isn't it? <laughs> right. But but if days are there, got gone somewhat. But now, I said the fishing slowed down. I, I was introduced to the Grand Union Canal. I've gone down there, and I've been absolutely filling my boots. Yeah, you know, it's just absolutely brilliant. So absolutely loving it. I mean, I suppose it's a bit easier because you know it's a canal. It's not it's not flowing river. You know, so you chuck your waggler across to the boats. It stays there, you know, and it's just a Until matter. Until it goes of just, under, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just a matter of just getting that feed right, you know, just yeah. get, just getting that right pattern of feed. Uh, yeah, and I've, 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 I've had a fair few days down there. It's a really, really good days with the chub, with the perch, you know, pretty much right, right, right through the bag. Sort of fishing from sort of right away Dudswell, sort of North Church, you know, right away from Burko, all of it. You know, it's 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 a it's a brilliant. Brilliant fishery, you know. I'm absolutely loving it. And price of an LAA ticket, which isn't very much, I've got mine here somewhere. Um, it, it's some some excellent sport in in and as you say, lots of lots of stretches. We uh, although I used to catch a few chub there, I never did so well with the chub as I did with the roach. The stretch downstream from there, below Hunton Bridge, down through Lady Capel's Wharf. That used to be some spectacular fishing, but I think and, and a bit of flow because the gade goes in and out. That's but right, I think yeah. you're struggling a bit there now with moored boats. I don't think there's a whole lot of bank available. Yeah. Oh, but isn't that that the case throughout the rivers and the canals? You know, mm. the same again. You know, where have all those boats come from? They weren't there uh, forty years ago. They, they, they're all old. Yeah, but I think a lot of them were driven out from sort of like the inner city. I, I don't know whether 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 they've increased the prices, but. I think they were somewhat forced out out of the, the inner sea, probably to make make way for people that are prepared to pay a lot more to be mm. more than with fancy boats, you know. But um, uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 been an absolute revelation fishing the, the canal. Absolutely loving it, you know. But um, yeah, do you fish for the chub in the summer as well? I have done, but obviously it gets weedy. It gets weedy there, but but yeah, you still pick them up. I just fishing it, fishing it down the track. You know, if you get that 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 feed pattern right, you they'll come on. You, mm. you'll, get, you'll get come on. You will. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, but just a little while ago, there were one of the the locks was left open. I think that was at I think Hemel. Yeah, and I think that's that's changed Hemel a bit. Yeah. So now it's just a matter of just working out where they are. But Lady Capels, like you said, that's a place which I'm gonna spend a bit of time on because mm. it's a place that. I used to hear about years and years ago. Everybody yeah. talk about Lady Capels, and I, I never knew where it was. And you know, I was on the Lee and, and the Thames. But now I've got my feet firmly stuck into into the Grand Union Canal, and yeah. I've worked out where to park. As we all know, that's that's, that's one of the biggest problems with our fishing. If you ain't, if you ain't fishing the puddles, it's yeah. a real issue these days, isn't it? Because I mean, all we we could go anywhere on a Sunday when all the shops were shut. And all the, the, the car parks were open, all the DIY shops and garden centres, you go and park there to your heart's content. And then suddenly 
that all changed. There were no yellow lines anywhere. They didn't, well, they were there, but they didn't work on a Sunday. And it's yeah. completely the opposite now. It's the busiest day of the year, so you can't get in anywhere to fish. And, and finding parking is a real priority. Yeah. But but the, on the ground, round by the Grand Union, uh, the, the, the yellow lines, I mean, you, you could fish on a Sunday, so it, yeah. it ain't too bad. And there's, certain, there's, certain, there's a certain amount of... Uh, pay and display parking some of it's free on a Sunday so it's just yeah. a matter of just doing your sign bargain anyway what about the Thames you got any more designs on the Thames this year oh, I've been once didn't do too good uh, I've had quite a few things on, on my plates and being the weather as it was I didn't really want to torture myself and I thought you know let the weather calm down a bit um, I think my next mission will be out, out by uh, around the back of the Desborough yeah a bit of stick float fishing for the ocean well mate it's been um it's been a real pleasure talking to you i shouldn't think when pe- most people listen to you they can get an image of of, of some seat with them um, a turban and a big belly because uh you sound like you've been in stoke newington all your life and you've been in stoke newington all your life i'll tell, I tell you a little uh a little story about that goes for my lover chub um i was at an auction house just a little while a while back, and uh, and there was a stuffed chub in a bow fronted case that come up for sale. And uh, anyway, I looked at it and I thought, you know what, this looks pretty good. I've seen a f- I've seen a few stuffed fish in, in different shops. They look a bit ropey and not quite right, but this one just looked so good. Anyway, uh, I've looked at it and I thought, you know, this really looks good. I like this. I've, I've seen I've seen the price it was going for. Anyway, auction days come up. I bid it on it, and it went for about three times, at least three or four times, what it was what it was quoted for. Anyway, it was a bow fronted thing. I've got it at home, and I told one of my mates about it, and he's, and, he, and he's asked me, you know, who made who's made that fish? You know, and I, oh, I don't know. He goes, what, what is it? Because it's a chub, and it, 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 it was caught. It was six pound four ounces, caught on the Hampshire Raven. A fella called H. E. Decock on the third of March, nineteen fourteen. Mm. Uh, anyway, so so my mate said to me, "Well, have a look inside the case. There's a name in there." And, and I've looked inside. Little, there's a little tiny little label, J. Cooper and Son. Oh yeah, yeah. So I phoned him up. Said it. It's got a little label in there. I don't know what it is. Goes some geezer called Cooper. So my mate's goes, "You sure?" And he goes, "Take a picture and send it back to me." And I said, "I've done that." Anyway, he's phoned me back. He went bridge. He goes, "Uh." You do realise what you got, don't you? I went, yeah, chub. <laughs> he goes, no, mate. He goes, what you got is a cooper fish, mm-hmm. you know. And then it's, everything's gone nuts now. Like, and so he wanted pictures and stuff. Anyway, cut a long story short. Anyway, I, I, I was really chuffed to bits about it. And he said, oh, it's worth a lot more than what you paid for it. I went, like, fine. I just like it for what it is. It's just a lovely looking fish. Got a date, the fella who caught it, Mr. Decop, 1914. Anyway, um, a couple of uh, weeks had gone by. I was reading up about Cooper. Anyway, one day, so my boy's on the internet and he's, he's kind of, he goes, Dad, there's, there's another one of those fish. What, what are you talking about? He goes, that decock, uh, that chub thing that, that you had. I mean, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, it's, the same, it's exactly the same thing. And I thought he meant the chub. So I thought, oh, it's yeah. a reproduction of, of something. Anyway, I've gone over to his laptop, I've had a look. And basically, it's four, four great big roach stuffed. <gasps> Stuffed in a bow fronted case, 
H.E. Decock again, 3rd of March, 1914, the Hampshire Raven. And so basically, this was, a, this was now what I bought was a, was a chub, like I said, same that name and everything, and I bought it down here in North London. And this, 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 uh, this case was in Norfolk somewhere, in a fine arts shop. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so anyway, uh, but what it was, so like, I, I was expecting to see a chub again, but it was four road. H.E. Decock, 3rd of March, 1914, Hampshire Haven. So what this fella's obviously done is obviously caught that chub and the four roach. You know, and obviously on the same day, they had them all stuffed, and they've got split up. So this one I bought was in North London, the other one's over in, somewhere in Norfolk. So anyway, so I phoned the, the person, I was a fine fine arts and antiques dealer. And I was like, you know, how much is that? And it was a, it was, it was a few quid. It, it weren't cheap. Anyway, I tried bartering him, and he weren't having it, and I didn't really feel it was justified to to buy this thing, you know. But it just bugged me so much. Yeah. And after a few months, I phoned him up again, like you know, have a little deal. He weren't having it. Kept reading up about Cooper. Anyway, just went on. It was bugging me, and I, I'd keep looking up on his website. It's still there, it's still there. But what it was, the case that he had never had. Jay Cooper written inside. It never had the label. So when Cooper done the, the two cases, yeah. my one with his tub had the label, and that one didn't. So he just he just put one label for the pair. So if you can imagine, these people have got this this case four four whacking great big roach in there, and uh, they don't know who the maker is or they can't verify it. But my right. but my but my case does. It's exactly yeah. the same name date and everything. You know. So anyway, this had gone on for weeks and. Without my knowing, my kids tried to even buy it for me. But then I think right at the last moment, I thought that I think they they lost their bottle, and everyone thought, "No, Dad's going to kill us if we pay this much money for this." You know. But in the meantime, I used to wake up in the middle of the night, check on the website. Anyway, carried on. <laughs> I carried on. It's been on for weeks and months. You know, I was just trying to bring myself to buy this thing. And I thought, I've got to, it got to get them back together. You know, these fish were caught yeah. in the river by one fella, and it, it was like two long lost brothers. You know, what I mean, like you know, like trekking around the world and you bring them back yeah. again. And uh, anyway, it, it, it carried on then in the middle of the night, I was reading up about Cooper. And then it turned out that, um, you know, obviously he died and he was buried. And where was he buried? Abney Park Cemetery in Stoke Newington. Really? Yeah. Where did he live? He lived in what was Norfolk Road, which turned into Cecilia Road. You know, Cecilia Road. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Well, that used to be Norfolk Road. And that's well, where Cooper. he lived. Jay Cooper. Yeah, Jay yeah. Cooper, yeah. And so and I, and I was like, oh, my God, I've got this chub. That's up in Norfolk. He's buried in Abbey Park Cemetery in Stoke Newington. He lives in Stoke Newington in Norfolk Road, which is now Cecilia Road. You know, and his workshop was in Radnor Street, in uh, uh, sort of like around the back of Old Street. Yeah. That's where his workshop was. So whenever you see his name on, 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 his, on his works, they say Jay, Jay Cooper and son, 28 Radnor Street. Yeah, and they uh, Oh, and I was like, oh, he's only he's, he worked over there, he lived over there, he's buried over there. And I actually, I actually took time out. I went to Stoke, the, the the cemetery, and I I, I got his, the dates and stuff with his death and whatever. And I actually went over, I went round to his actual uh, uh, his family grave and got got a picture of it. You know, and, and this was bugging me for ages. You know, and uh, then one morning so I, I got up and I thought, you know what, I've got to get this thing. I'm, I'm, I was driving around, I was running back with Austin. And I stopped at a mini roundabout, looked up, there was a closed down pub. And what was it called? The Earl of Radnor. You know, oh. so, so somehow I got 
He works in Radnor. I'm outside of Radnor, Earl of Radnor. Born in, it's buried in Stoke News and lived in Stoke. And I thought, you know what? I went home and said to my missus, I've got to have this thing. So I phoned them up and uh, eventually had a little bit of a deal with them. And I was just, I was just so adamant. I had to get these two things back together again. You know, yeah. I mean, the, the work of Cooper is immense. His work was yeah. absolutely immense. Absolutely, like, he was like, yeah. it was like the Rolls Royce of sort of taxidermy. Yeah, there were two two big names to go for in Case Fishers, Cooper and Homer. They're 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 the two famous um, famous names. Yeah, they are. Ironically, the, um, the antiques the antiques roadshow uh, um, turned up in Stoke Newton, and I and I begrudgingly took it out, took took the chub over there. I wrapped it up. I mean, it was mad. I wrapped it. I'm telling you, blankets was ridiculous. Uh, one of my neighbours got me the ticket for the antiques roadshow, and I I trolleyed it over there on my fox trolley. <laughs> And uh, wrapped, I had it in a box, wrapped up. I was absolutely so paranoid, it's going to get damaged. And uh, yeah, we took it in there. And when I first turned up, then the, the experts were there, yeah. what you got in the box? I went, mean, oh, stuffed fish. And like, they're, they're sort of like, oh, you're a right, big deal. Anyway, when I pulled it out, put it on the, on, on the table, as I've un, uh, unwrapped it, and there's this great big chub in there, you know, HE Decock, Hampshire Raven 19, 14, further marked. And like, all the same was like, Wow, you know, like, and I, instantly there was a crowd around it. Yeah, and uh, and, and obviously the, the people who did the filming, they, they were straight on it. There was, you know, they, they they wanted to film it so desperately, and they were like, okay, right, right, just stay there. We're gonna get get this on the on the show. But then, unfortunately, Finsbury Park had its uh, wireless uh, events on, and I think something kicked off over there, and ended up with a. With a with a police helicopter directly above us, they just absolutely, absolutely refused to move. Yeah, so uh, so that that would have been a that would have been a nice little tribute for for Mister Decock to get, him, to get himself yeah. on on the TV. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so if anyone knows H.E. Decock, third of March, nineteen fourteen, he was fishing on the Hampshire Raven. I've Is that got... spelled like Peacock but with the D? D E A C O C K. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but uh, yeah, so I've got the fellas back together, and they'll take pride of place in in, in the living room. Yeah. Well, fancy! What a great story to finish with, Bridget. It's been a real pleasure, mate. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Never and a um, as I say, I'll see you soon. Well, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed that chat. The hour or so just flew past. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you're strolling down the Grand Union Canal or the River Lee and up and across a bloke fishing who's wearing a turban, it's probably a bridge. I'll be back soon for another little cruise. So if you like, follow and subscribe to the Strange Boat Podcast. You'll be able to join me then too. But for now, from me, Keith Arthur, it's cheers and tight lines. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi there, I'm Kendra Adachi, and I host the Lazy Genius Podcast, a show that helps you be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. But here's the kicker. You get to decide what matters, not me. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to give you a new way to see. 
Episodes are around 20 minutes and are full of practical, helpful information, as well as a lot of permission slips to do what makes sense for you. New episodes drop every Monday and cover a broad range of topics from laundry and getting dinner on the table to finding work-life balance and organizing your inbox. So I invite you to give the Lazy Genius Podcast a listen. Together, let's stop doing it all for the sake of doing what matters. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.